Welcome to Black Warren Reads, a weekly showcase from the authors of current releases from Black Warren Books. All stories read are available for purchase from BlackWarrenBooks.com, Amazon, and wherever ebooks are sold. Thank you for joining in, and enjoy the show. Welcome to Black Warren Reads. On this day, Tuesday, January 16th, 2024. Welcome back. We're pleased that you can join us again, and today we will be continuing Certified Gold on the Air by David M. DeMar. We did chapters 1 through 4 last time, and today we are picking up with chapters 5 through 8. Tonight's voice cast will include myself, Von Ardemont, Guy Sisk. Both her and I will be doing the male and female parts, respectively. Kaz McDonald as Anigan, and Dave DeMar as Ricky. So without further ado, Mr. DeMar, please take it away. Thank you very much. Certified Gold on the Air by David M. DeMar. Chapter 5. I rode the elevator down to the first floor in a daze. As soon as the doors opened, I rushed out into the crowd of students, weaving my way through the front door and down the steps. The late afternoon sunlight hit me square in the chest, and I took in great gulps of air like I had just come up from diving deep in the North Atlantic. Holy shit, I thought. Holy fucking shit, I did it. I grinned, shaking my head in disbelief. I can't believe I did it. I took out my phone and immediately tapped out a text to mom. I got the gig, working the graveyard shift, training as a board operator. I start Friday night. Barely 30 seconds went by before she wrote back. Fuck yes, Ricky, so proud of you. I smiled, then blinked. Mom was sending more messages. We need to talk playlists. What's your target demo? You have freedom to choose artists? Want to come pick up some of your vinyl at the apartment? My eyes grew wide as mom continued blowing up my phone. Finally, I got my wits together enough to type out a reply. Mom, slow down. I'm just going to be an audio engineer. Another second and her reply came through. Yeah, for now, maybe. Come for dinner tonight. Mac and Dags will be there. We can tell them the good news. I winced. I don't know, Mom. I'm kind of busy. Got to study. My phone dinged once more. I'm making Fiskaballer. Rick Yavik said it by courier earlier. Catch of the day. Fresh haddock. There was no way I could say no to that. Okay, okay, I'll be there. Please don't make a big deal out of it. I got a thumbs up emoji in response. I stuffed my phone back into my pocket. Better than cafeteria food for sure, I thought. I checked the time, did some quick calculations in my head, and set off toward the edge of campus. A few minutes of walking in the afternoon sunlight, and I saw the UTA bus stop ahead of me. A small crowd of students, human and mythic alike, were waiting. I joined the throng, craning my neck to look up the street. A few minutes later, a large commuter bus, already halfway full from the look of it, pulled to a stop. About a dozen people spilled out and went their separate ways. I waited my turn to step up and on, flashing my Allure University student ID at the bored-looking dwarf driving the bus. Most of the seats were taken, leaving just a few here and there with a half-occupied bench. 
I spied an empty spot, but the adjoining seat was filled by an otherworldly beautiful woman, her bag occupying the other seat. She had a delicately featured face framed by a wild mane of seafoam green hair. A series of long, horizontal slits started halfway down each side of her neck and disappeared beneath her shirt. She was leaning back, eyes closed, a pair of supremely heavy-duty headphones with wood inlays over her ears, murmuring to, murmuring to herself along with the music. A palpable aura hung close to her, thrumming along with her voice. I grinned, watching her for a moment before reaching out and grabbing the handrail, just in time for the bus to lurch to a start. I looked away as Lore University slowly rolled out of sight. Not much changed at first, except most of the buildings became newer and more expensive looking. We made good time across half a dozen stops as the bus followed the street northwest, with a handful of people getting off and on at each one. Eventually, the woman in her musical trance opened her eyes, checked where we were, and stood up for the next stop, pulling her headphones down to around her neck. I met her gaze. I see you, sea sister, I said to her quietly, slipping into sigil the language of mythics. She blinked and looked at me curiously. Clan Snow wishes you calm seas and pleasant melodies. She beamed at me. Her smile lit up the entire space. May the oceans bring you bounty, she replied in turn, reaching out to steady herself on the handrail as the bus began to slow down. Are those a pair of GS3000Xs? I asked, switching back to English. I pointed to her headphones. She grinned, her eyes sparkling. Oh, you know your stuff, she said. They are. Just listening to something I've been working on. It needs some editing before it's ready. I DJ at the palace on the weekends. I let out a low whistle. You make enough spinning records at the palace to snag a pair of those? That's some serious chatter. She laughed. It sounded like a bubbling brook. Oh, no, that's what I do for fun. I uh, consult for a bunch of different recording studios in town. My ears are never wrong, and they all know it. She quirked an eyebrow at me. But what are you doing riding the bus, Shoal Serpent? You can't tell me you don't want to stretch your wings. I shrugged. Trying to keep a low profile? My relatives all want a piece of me. You know how it goes. More snakes than a Gorgon hair salon? I get that. The bus ground to a halt. This is me. Always nice to see a friendly face from home. She waved and winked, sashaying past me, humming under her breath. I grinned at her as several humans turned at the sound like they'd been hooked by the ears. I took her seat, smiling. A few more moments and the bus was off again. Now the buildings were getting lower, older, and more closely crowded together. Traffic increased, and soon the bus reached another stop. The digital marquee above the driver's head came to life, the words Grundstadt crawling from left to right. I got up, brushed some dirt off my jeans, and hopped off the bus. It took me a second to get my bearings, but I was soon off in the right direction, walking through a neighborhood that had street names written in both English and German. I walked for about two blocks and made a left, following the scent of fresh baked bread that my sensitive nose had noticed as soon as I'd gotten off the bus. I came to a stop at a small storefront under a green and white awning. The front plate glass window had Helvig's Daughter Bakery printed in large block letters in a semicircle. Beneath it, in smaller letters, read, Established 1902. I pulled the heavy wooden door open, causing a bell to tinkle. The smell intensified as I crossed the threshold. 
A large middle-aged human woman was behind the counter. She waved at me. Hello? She said. How can I help you today? Uh, I said, uh, yes, do you? I looked down at the glass counter she was standing behind. It was well-stocked with all sorts of cakes and pastries. Do you have any Skirturta today? Oh, you're in luck. Made fresh this morning. Topped as blueberries. She turned, bustling to a Pyrak I hadn't seen when I walked in. She returned in a moment with a large round cake and a tin and set it on the counter. Looks good to me, I said, reaching for my wallet. I'm uh, heading to my parents' place for dinner, and I wanted to bring something. She nodded and pulled a box out from beneath the counter. Not a problem. Is your family Icelandic? My mother's side, I replied. Been here since the 1880s? Mom's a great cook, but she's no good at desserts. I grinned. She's making fresh fiskaballer tonight, and I didn't want to show up empty-handed. Oh my goodness, you lucky boy. She finished boxing up the cake. Hope it's not far. That cake needs to stay cold. She dusted her hands off, and I handed her my debit card. Nope, just a couple of bus stops, I said. She ran the card and handed it back to me. I waved off the receipt, picking up the box cake carefully. Thanks so much. Come back anytime, she called after me. Tell me how your mom liked the cake. Oh, and bring me back some Fiskaballer. I laughed, waved, and slipped out the door. Back on the sidewalk, I carefully pulled my phone out of my pocket, checking the time. I slipped it back in and turned around, picking up the pace as I retraced my steps. This time, I crossed the street to the bus stop on the opposite side. A few minutes later, which I spent clutching the cake box as tightly as I dared, and another bus came grinding to a halt. I climbed up, carefully flashing my student ID, and found a seat. The bus eased away from the sidewalk and trundled through Grunstadt, heading slowly southwest. The street names switched from German to Italian, and then back to English by the time we stopped again. The lights of the marquee flashed South Beckettsville as a few slightly haggard-looking humans climbed up the steps. Looking out the window, I watched this new neighborhood slowly roll by. The age of the buildings here seemed about the same as in Grunstadt, but they certainly weren't quite as well-maintained in many places. Still, the streets and buildings had a sort of lived-in look that I found strangely comforting, even if it seemed like this neighborhood's best days might be behind it. This was only reinforced by the closed sign on the marquee of what looked like had once been a good-sized performance venue. A grim, dusty neon sign, not lit, bore the name The Roxy in looping script. I bet you that place was amazing back in the day, I thought as the bus turned the corner. We passed out of South Beckett, the bus winding its way closer to my parents' neighborhood in Elora. I got off at the closest stop. Another few minutes of walking in the afternoon sunlight, and I was in front of my parents' building. The RFID fob on my cheek keychain granted me access. I walked inside, past the small but clean lobby where the mailboxes were, and pushed the call button on the elevator. It whirred to life, and a few moments later, the door slid open. There was no one inside. I stepped in, turned around, and pressed the button for the third floor. A short ride later, and I came out into the carpeted hallway, turned left, and walked down to the end. I could easily hear people talking from the other side of the door. I took a big sigh, pushed a smile upon my face that I didn't completely feel, and knocked. Chapter 6 Oh, that's probably Ricky. The door opened, revealing my mother in her usual getup. Ice blue faux hawk, sides freshly buzzed, 
two hoops in her left nostril, studs in both ears, and a medium-sized spacer in her right earlobe. She was in well-worn ripped jeans and an open flannel over a black tee. Her shirt had the words, the sex pistols always sucked, stamped across the front. Come on in, kid. You're the last one here. She grinned at me and threw her arms wide, her pale skin catching the light from the foyer and causing her scales to glitter. I smiled, more genuinely this time. Hi, Mom. I hugged her, careful not to crush the cake. I brought dessert. Oh, Ricky, you shouldn't have. She took the plain white cardboard box from me. I'll set it with the others. She turned and walked into the kitchen. Ricky's here, guys. Dinner will be ready soon. I closed the door behind me and shrugged out of my hoodie, hanging it on the one last empty peg on the wall. The rest were filled. A lightweight long coat, a battered vintage motorcycle jacket, a small bright red jacket, and a suit jacket on a coat hanger. I trailed after my mother into the kitchen. She set the dessert box down next to two others on the counter, each one more ostentatious and expensive looking than the last, and turned back to the stove where the fiscaballer was sautéing in a cast iron pan and giving off their signature aroma. I looked down at the largest and most ornate of the third, bo- of the third boxes. The top was gold foil stamped with the name of the bakery and a Destry Bay address. A tag attached to the box read, from Mac. I sighed, moving through the kitchen into the rest of the apartment. My father and brother were in the dining room, lazily setting the table and talking. Dad was in a faded Allure University sweatshirt, his salt and pepper beard trimmed impeccably to make up for the thinning mop of the top of his head. Mac, who looked like a younger version of Dad with more hair on top but less on his chin, was in his shirt sleeves, a silver silk tie around his neck. The knot was loosened in a way I could only assume that my brother thought was artful. They looked up when I walked in. Hey, hey, there's the college boy. My father's face split into a huge grin. He set down the plate in his hands and hugged me, harder than I was expecting. How's the life of an undergrad? Oh, uh, hey, Dad. Yeah, it's good. Busy, you know. Hey, Mac. My brother waved to me over Dad's shoulder. Golden boy. Late as usual. Nice of you to join us. When you get in a haircut, you hippie. He grinned, showing a little too much tooth. I suppressed a shudder at the nickname and smiled back. Same time you pull the stick out of your ass? He laughed at that, a little too loud, his eyes flat. Fighting a familiar feeling rising in my stomach, I turned back to my father. Where's Dagmar? He hooked a thumb over his shoulder. Uh, Your sister's in the living room. I nodded and walked through the doorway, took a right down the short hall, and popped my head into the next room. Hey, Dags. My sister was seated on the couch, her back to me, phone held high in hand and angled down at her. She soundlessly raised her other hand in greeting, holding up a finger, before casually running it through her pale blue streaked hair. I heard the faint sound of a phone camera shutter. She lowered her hand again. Hey, little brother. Sorry, sharing the link to Connie's crypto site like he asked me to. She craned her neck around, revealing features that mirrored my mother's closely, though she had chosen a cobalt blue undercut to mom's ice blue faux hawk. Oh, God, is he still trying to push that lightning corn garbage? And Don't call me that. Your egg hatched a whole three hours before me. Still counts. She slouched in the sofa, scrolling through her phone. And it's Thundercoin, Ricky. 
He's ramping up to release some NFTs by Halloween. She rolled her eyes. Lucky for him, he gets free tech support from his girlfriend. Uh-huh. I snorted. Yeah, I'm sure your quarter of a million Insta followers don't hurt. 1.2 mil now? She looked up at me with a grin. And climbing. My father called out from the dining room. All right. Uh, come on, guys. Enough standing around. Dinner time. Dagmar sighed, threw up a peace sign, and took one last picture before getting off the couch. Stuffing the phone in the back pocket of what looked like designer jeans, she said, Thank Bahamut you here, by the way. If Dad and Mac went on for one more second about market capitalizations, I was going to have to fly back to Port Portland with their blood all over me. I trailed behind my sister and on the way to the dining room. Mom had put a huge spread down on the table with the fiscaballer in pride of place. A couple of freshly opened bottles of wine stood within easy reach. I pulled out a chair and sat down, picking up my napkin. Cloth, Mom? Really? Is the raketh coming to dinner? Quiet, you. She brandished a serving spoon at me. I can't enjoy having my whole family under the same roof for a night. When's the last time this happened, huh? Two weeks ago, Dad said, smirking at me. Right before the fall semester started. He held out his plate to my mother, who filled it and handed it back to him. Thank you, honey. And it's been a long two weeks without my hatchlings. She gestured for my plate, and I handed it to her. She started ladling food onto it. A lot of food. Who knows when we'll all be together again? She handed me the heaping plate. Jeez, Mom, leave some for the rest of us. Dag said. She handed over her own plate. You trying to fatten him up? Well, he's so damn thin. Heroin chic went out with the 90s, Ricky. You gotta eat more. She handed back my sister's plate and gestured for Max. Yeah, Ricky. <laughs> Maybe it's time to start hitting some weights or something. Maybe get on the protein. My brother took it back for mom and set it down. We can't have our future great leader looking like the Wendigo from those potato chips you like. What would Grandma Yuta say? He leered at me. I looked down at the huge plate of food in front of me. It smelled delicious and looked even better, but I suddenly wasn't very hungry. I picked up my fork and chased a fishball around the sauce for a second. I mean, I... What your brother's trying to say, Ricky, is that he's just concerned for you. Right, Mac? Dad shot my brother a look, who stopped mean-mugging me and nodded, suddenly very interested in his own plate. Besides, I can't say I'm not a little jealous. The last time I fit in skinny jeans was 1922. He grinned, grinned leaning back and patting his stomach. Too much of Mom's fiscaboler, and you won't fit on the throne. Oh, Christ, I thought, forcing what I could only assume looked like a good-natured smile to my face. Dad, you know I'm nowhere near old enough for that yet. You never know, Dag said, pouring herself a generous glass of wine. Greatness thrust upon them or some shit like that. She looked up. What? I read. Uh, doom scrolling and Taylor Swift lyrics don't count. Max speared a fishball with his fork and jammed the whole thing in his mouth. His eyes rolled back. Oh, my God. Mom, did, did you say this was fresh? 
flown in from the Yegevik office this morning. She said, sipping from her own wine glass. What? You think I was going to just go down to Whole Foods and pick up a few pounds of the garbage they call fresh? I wouldn't be caught dead there. Well, not without a couple of Molotovs. And dinner wound on from there. My sister remained snarky. Mac barely kept his resentment in check, and Dad tried to keep the peace. Mom just looked happy. Finally, we finished. I stood up and helped clear the plates, trailing after my mother into the kitchen. Dad and my siblings stayed seated around the table, talking. Well, Mac talked. I set the dishes down on the counter and took the top one off the stack, handing it to my mother. She turned, rinsed it off in the sink, and then placed it in the open dishwasher. So? Spill it! The radio station? I felt hot around my ears. Oh, well, yeah, I'm starting Friday night, a graveyard shift, the 2 to 4 a.m. slot. Just training as a board operator for now, going a little early to get some hands-on experience. The engineer wants to switch to an earlier slot, so I'd be, well, I, I guess I'd be their replacement eventually. That sounds fucking exciting. She grinned as I handed her another plate. This is how it starts, Ricky. First, you're running the board. Next thing you know, you're programming sets, recording promos. Hell, maybe you'll even start going out to shows and meeting local acts. Yeah, I, I don't know about that. I mean, from what I've seen in the city so far, the scene looks a little dead besides the Palace of Wisdom. I mean, not that that's not an amazing venue, but isn't it the only game in town at this point? Maybe. There used to be dozens of great little hole-in-the-wall places in this town, but most of them are gone. Yeah, I saw what was left of one today. The bus passed an old rundown place in South Beckettsville on the way here after I stopped to pick up dessert. Looked like it was about 20 minutes from being knocked down and turned into another one of those gentrified coffee shops. My mother paused. South Beckett? She cocked her head, not turning around. You didn't catch the name, did you? I wrinkled my nose. Uh, I think it was Rock something? The Rock House? I don't really... The Roxy. She said. I know that place. She set the dish she had been rinsing down in the sink and turned around to face me. A bemused expression on her face. Her eyes were bright. I can't believe it's still there. Well, it didn't look like it would be for much longer, Mom. The whole block seemed pretty much on the way out. Lots of for sale signs. Ugh! Tell me about it. She turned back to the sink, turning off the water and picking up the plate she had just set down. Your brother's interning at this godstamned real estate developer out in Destry Bay. They're buying up whole blocks in Beckettsville and Grunstad so they can reno and flip them. A whole fucking city's getting gentrified. Like the she need more neighborhoods to stink up? She growled, slamming the dishwasher closed and turning around. Listen, Ricky, you get a free afternoon, go back down there. You remember where it was? I nodded, a little taken aback by how emphatic she was being. About three doors down on the right, there should be a little hole-in-the-wall record store. If it's still there, you better go in there and clear out whatever you can before the damn vultures show up and turn it into a gastropub where they use first pressing as placemats or some other bougie shit. Next chance you get, okay? Um, okay. I blinked, but the words record store had certainly gotten my interest. You think it's still there, though? Oh, I've got a feeling, she said, reaching for the box with the Skirterta. Come on, it's time for dessert. Chapter 7 
turns out what I had brought was a big hit. Even Mac had himself a second helping, though he was certainly less than enthusiastic that the very expensive looking dessert he brought stayed wrapped up on the kitchen counter. It was getting late at that point, so I claimed that I needed to study and fled back to the relative safety of my dorm. The next two days were a blur of typical freshman life. I fell into a steady rhythm that consisted of going to and from classes, catching meals of questionable provenance at the food court, and spending my downtime in the library studying or listening to music. Time wore on toward the end of the week, marked by by steady texts from both my father... Go get him, champ! ...and my mother... Don't let him play any top 40 garbage. By Friday, I was ready for my first shift, though I wasn't sure if it was to show up or to throw up. Possibly both at the same time. The sub was deserted when I walked through the front doors that evening. I had to show my ID card and sign in with security at the front entrance, considering how late it was. The main floor hall, designed to accommodate large amounts of student foot traffic, seemed cavernous and liminal in its abandoned silence. The school bookstore was shuttered, and the doorway leading to the food court yawned darkly, leading to emptiness. My footsteps echoed weirdly in the empty space. The wait for the elevator seemed an eternity, and the ride up to the fourth floor was even longer. The sound of the elevator cables was my only companion. The doors opened, and I stepped out into dim after-hours lighting. I could hear, faintly, the canned sound of the radio station being piped in from the modest speakers mounted in the hallway. I followed it, turning right at the intersection, and arrived at the station. The door was propped open, light spilling dimly out into the hall beyond. I took a deep breath, holding it for a moment and conjuring an image of Gretzky's hockey jersey in my head. Take the shot, number 99. I breathed out and stepped over the threshold. The main office was much as I remembered it from earlier that week, though there was a large backpack on the couch, a second laptop, and several loose pieces of paper next to it. The speaker in the corner was playing the opening notes of This Corrosion from Sisters of Mercy. Uh, Hello? I called out. Anyone home? Yeah, one second. It sounded like someone was rummaging around on the other side of the interior doorway, the one that led deeper into the station. Shit. Hold on. Uh, Hey, could you give me a hand? Uh, yeah, I... Sure? I stuck my head through the doorway and was almost knocked down by what looked like a stack of cardboard boxes with legs. I bumped into it, and it spoke. Ah, damn it. Uh, Hey, watch out. Uh, Grab the top box, would you? Put it down on the floor next to the couch. I grabbed it, lifting it easily. As I did so, the person I had been talking to came clear, or at least their head and shoulders did. Gracefully sweeping ram's horns, almost lost in a tangle of curly, light brown hair and sparkling, coal-rimmed eyes, brows drawn together in effort. Are you the new guy? Rick? Uh, Ricky, yeah. I set down the box where the satyr had instructed. The other two boxes thumped down next to them. Uh, Byron told me to come down tonight so I could get some training on the board operation? Jesus, Rick, you're fucking tall. Well, they've been feeding you. The satyr, who I had had about a head and a half on in height, was looking up at me. An untucked, white button-down shirt, sleeves rolled up to the elbow, revealed intricately designed tribal tattoos flowing down their forearms. Below that was a black midi skirt. A pair of furry, digitigrade legs ending in cloven hooves completed the ensemble. I blinked, thrown off by the satyr's appearance. Uh, between the timbre of their voice and the way they were dressed, I was 
having a hard time pegging their gender. The satyr hadn't waited for an answer, thrusting out a hand and greeting. Anigan. It's with a soft G, not a hard one. I shook it carefully. You ever worked in radio before? No, I said. I mean, I want to. Uh, work in radio? Jesus, Ricky, get it together. I took a deep breath. I mean, I like music. Oh, yeah? You and every other freshman who walks through that door. Anigan, with a soft G, turned away, skirt swishing. I tried to spot any physical sign that would let me figure them out. I don't see any breaths, I thought, immediately feeling like a jerk. Hell, they didn't even smell anything like the other satyrs I knew, that was for sure. Whatever. If you're willing to spend your Friday nights holed up here, then I guess beggars can't be choosers. They walked back through the open doorway, deeper into the radio station, leaving me in the office in stunned silence. A moment later, they called out, Well, you coming or not, Rick? I sighed, following. The hallway was long and narrow, going back what seemed like 50 feet or so into the building. The right wall was plastered with music posters and band stickers. The left had several doors, some of which had glass windows. We passed by these, each revealing what looked like broadcast booths, complete with boom microphones, chairs and desks with computers, and engineering decks festooned with light-up buttons and graphic equalizer slides. There was what looked like a female student working in the first one, headphones on and dressed all in black, scowling as she flipped through a CD carry case. She looked up, revealing pale porcelain-like skin and burning red eyes. I caught her gaze and her scowl deepened. I waved tentatively, giving her a smile. Without missing a beat, she flipped me off and hissed at me, revealing razor-sharp fangs. I jumped back, startled, colliding with the wall of the corridor behind me. Uh, Anakin? What? The satyr looked over the shoulder at me, then smirked. Oh, I see you've met Soundra. She's the 12 to 2 slot. Don't worry, she's harmless. Well, mostly. Anakin grinned and we continued down the hallway, continued to talk a blue streak as we walked down it. All right, so broadcast studios A and B are first. Those are our bigger ones. Soundra was an A. That's her favorite. Studio C is usually used for prep work, though you can broadcast from there just as easily. We usually use it for the online feed, though. The corridor opened to the left, revealing a larger space. It was taken up with one of those bookshelf-on-rails systems, the kind with cranks in the side to open and close them, like the ones in the school library's reference section. Here's the station library, Anakin said. At least the physical one. A lot of our stuff is digital now, but we've still got shitloads of CDs, tapes, and vinyl. They motioned to each stack in turn. Someone had applied strips of masking tape to label several of them. If you can't find it in the library or in the database, you'll have to bring it in yourself. Or that's what we tell the DJs. You probably won't have to worry about that if you end up taking my engineering slot on Friday nights. Their voice got slightly fainter as they moved further down the hallway. Come on, Rick. Tour's not over yet. Oh, right. Sorry. Realizing I had been staring at the library, I tore my eyes away and walked through one last doorway into an even larger space filled with older-looking audio equipment, a couch, a couple of mismatched easy chairs that were much rattier than the one in the front office, a large wooden wire spool that had been repurposed as a table, and a mini-fridge that was humming suspiciously loudly. Battens of anechoic foam were attached haphazardly to the walls. Adam Anigan stood in the center of the room, arms held out to the side. And this, 
they intoned. Is the garage. They spun on their heels, sweeping their arms wide. General hangout slash meeting space. We also record live performances here, like if a band comes in for an interview and we have them play one of their tracks. It's not exactly the region, but it gets the job done. They drop their hands, fishing a phone out from somewhere in the fold of their skirt to check the time. All right, grab a seat and we'll start going over the basics. Then I'll take you inside one of the booths and show you how everything works. I nodded, choosing the least soiled-looking easy chair. It sagged when I sat, its springs groaning. I wrinkled my nose. Yeah, you get used to the smell after a while. I think it had been left out in the rain before somebody picked it up and dragged it in here. They sat down on the couch and gave me an appraising look. You're draconic, aren't you? Um, yeah? I flicked my eyes around the room. There was only one way out, same way I came in. That's, uh, not going to be a problem, is it? Anakin shook their head. Worried the sheet are going to come in here and put your head on a spike? Not going to happen. They flashed a grin that looked more like baring their teeth than smiling. Sandra does not like them. Like, at all. The only thing she loves more than Sheed are posers. Anakin rolled their eyes. You think those privileged face shitheads would get along with us satyrs, but there's only one way we like to fuck humans, and it's not with fairy magic. I laughed nervously. <laughs> yeah, my roommate's a satyr, too. Oh, really? What's his name? Nico? Do you know him? Oh. Because we all know each other, right? They glared at me, then laughed. <laughs> Relax, Rick. I'm fucking with you. Yeah, I, I know Nico. A good guy, though. He's got awful taste in music. I swear, if I have to hear him talk about how Be Here Now is the best... The best Oasis album of all time? Yeah, he's obsessed. I smiled, feeling a little more at ease, though the image of Soundra bearing her fangs at me was seared into my memory. I can't convince him otherwise. Oh my god, I know. It's embarrassing, isn't it? Anigan laughed, clapping their hands. Like, he's got no idea of the context surrounding that album. All those music reviewers pushing it so hard when it came out, thinking it was going to be the next big thing from the Gallaghers. Oh yeah, I remember that. They hyped it up like crazy. Anigan cocked their head at me. You remember it? What the fuck, Rick? You're a freshman. You would have been like, what? Negative five when it came out? I blinked, realizing my mistake. Uh, well, I, I remember being told about it. I had an uncle that was big into the scene at the time. He was a photographer. I remember him telling me that Liam and Noel were just like swimming in coke from like 96 to 97. He said that they were completely out of their gourd most nights. Anigan nodded. Yeah, I heard they were fucked up pretty bad. No wonder the album sucked. I breathed an inward sigh as they dropped it. Last thing I needed to explain tonight was how dragons age so much more slowly than humans. Anyway, I'll have you know, not all satyrs have shit taste in music like Nico. They paused. Okay, I've been meaning to ask this for a while now. You're like one of the only draconics I know of that isn't swooping over the Benedict looking for assholes to eat. What are you doing here, man? At Alora, I mean. I grimaced. Ugh. Well... My dad, he's an alumnus, wanted me to go as a legacy student. I kind of couldn't say no. I looked at them. 
can I ask you something too? Yeah, shoot. Um, I bit my lip. This is probably going to sound really rude, but how do I make this sound better? I don't think I've ever seen a satyr wearing a skirt before. Anakin looked down. Oh, shit. Is it? Is this a skirt? They grab two handfuls of fabric in mock panic, then drop them grinning. I'm Envy. I blinked. N-B? Non-binary? It clicked, finally. Oh, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Was that a sensitive question? Relax, Rick. Yeah, most haters identify as male, but plenty don't. I'm one of them. They looked at me. You trying to figure out whatever, what to refer to me as? I nodded, my ears hot. You can use they, them pronouns with me. They shot me an appraising look. That okay with you? I nodded again, still feeling like an idiot. All right. Now that we've got that out of the way, can I do any more emotional labor for you tonight? Or can we get on with the training? I smiled weakly. Yeah, I, uh, I guess we should. Great. Come on, let's relocate Studio C. It should be empty. They stood up. I did the same, following them down the corridor. Chapter 8 Welcome to Jurassic Park. Anigan threw the door open and bowed low, gesturing with her their hand. Studio C was smaller than the other booths. The furniture was a little older, with the desk sturdy but weathered. Its office chair was similarly beaten up. A small love seat, an institution-looking one that you could find throughout the common rooms in Laura University's residence halls, took up the wall to the right of the desk. A couple of battered filing cabinets, flanked by some metal folding chairs that had been stashed on either side, lined the back wall. The equipment on the desk made my eyes water, though. A big boom mic on a metal armature looked like it had seen better days, thanks to the black paint flaking off the boom from several places. A ratty pair of over-the-ear headphones was resting on the tabletop, its cord patched in three different places. Electrical tape, duct tape, and a Batmobile band-aid. The audio board looked like something from the 1970s, and the computer had one of those super loud clickety-clackety keyboards, a beige two-button mouse with a scroll wheel, and an old-style square tube monitor. A set of battered-looking audio equi- input equipment with a dual tape deck, a CD player, and an auxiliary input completed the ensemble. I picked up the mouse and turned it over. It had a little trackball underneath. Well, now I see why sound you're like Studio A, pulling out all the stops in here, I see. It's not as bad as it looks. Come on, sit down. They gestured to the office chair. It creaked loudly as I eased myself into it. See? Fits like a glove. Now let's start going over the board. See all these little sliders? Each one labeled something different? They pointed. It looked like something from the control room of the Death Star's laser cannon. Still, I could see at the top of each vertical slider's columns had been labeled with black sharpie on masking tape. Master, CD, tape, database, aux. Yeah, are these, uh, what do you call it, volume controls? Gotten one. They leaned down, their sleeve brushing against my shoulder, and tapped a translucent button at the bottom of their headphone slider. It lit up. When the light's on, line's open. If it's off, it's muted. DJ chooses their input for the broadcast, fades it in and out manually, stuff like that. 
Board ops can do it remotely too when necessary, like from another studio. They tap the button again, extinguishing the light. And of course, the master toggle controls volume for the whole board. If that's off, nothing's broadcasting, even if every other input is open. They lean back, crossing their arms. Make sense? I look down at the board again. It seems simple. I mean, I wouldn't be adjusting anything uh, live on the air, right? Anigan smirked. No, but you need to know how to operate the board for doing things like setting up station identifications, PSAs, and shit like that. We don't really run commercials, especially on overnights, but if a local event is scheduled to happen soon, like that secret McQueen sneak preview happening on Halloween, you'd need to know how to queue it up so the DJ can access it through their computer. They patted the giant tube monitor. It wobbled. I looked around the room. I didn't see any music shelves. So what, all the audio can be pulled in from the computer or something? Yep. They turned the monitor on. I winced at the sound. Anigan shot me a quizzical look. What, you heard something? I rubbed my temples for a minute. Yeah, uh, we've got pretty good hearing. Dad's Clan Argent, but I take after my mom. She's Clan Snow. Really good hearing even for a, uh, a Draconic. The high-pitched whine began to fade. Clan Snow. Which one's that? Uh, I guess you call them white dragons? Semi-aquatic, so kind of specialized for swimming. Mom's side of the family can hold their breath for hours. I grinned. She likes to say she could hear a sturgeon fart at a thousand fathoms during a nor'easter. Anigan wrinkled her nose, lo- wrinkled their nose looking at me. Then they burst into laughter. <laughs> uh, your mom sounds pretty cool, Rick. They shook their head and pointed at the screen. A small window was in the center. The words, enter your login and password in block letters. This is Spinatron. It's the database program we use. I'm sure Byron hasn't put you in the system yet, so let me log us in for now. They leaned over me again to tap the keyboard. The screen cleared, revealing a complex-looking menu. All right. This is the main database. It's connected to the station server where all our digital audio lives. Not just songs, but pre-recorded PSAs and station idents, too. It also runs our streaming station. They handed me the headphones. Here, put these on. I'll show you how to play one. Let me just turn them on. They tap the corresponding button on the board. And the feed from the database. They tapped another. I slipped the headphones on, inexpertly trying to fit them over my ears. Okay, I said. Now what? Anakin grabbed the mouse, navigating to the database. Let's play a station ident. Ah, shit! I winced as the headphones came to life. You're listening to 96.7 FM WPHX, Alora University Radio, the home of the rising firebirds! I yanked the headphones from my ears. Fuck, it's loud, man! Oh, shit. Sorry, sorry, I didn't... God damn it. The last idiot in here left the volume slider up too high. Who the fuck? Let me check. Anigan turned around, opened the trap door of the leftmost, fi- leftmost filing cabinet, and pulled out a clipboard. Let's see who's the asshole. Uh, yep. Fucking Chauncey. I rubbed at my ears, squinting up at Anigan. Uh, who's that? That, my friend, 
is the shit stain that has the 2 to 4 a.m. DJ slot on Fridays. They sighed, tossing the clipboard back into the open drawer. He's the reason I'm looking to switch slots. What, because he doesn't take care of the equipment? No, because he accidentally misgenders me every chance he gets. He's a fucking cum fart of a person, and if I have to put up with him one more semester, I'm gonna end up on America's Most Wanted. They sighed, pushing the drawer closed with enough force to make it slam. Two to four slot? Wait, isn't that the one I'm supposed to replace you on? Oh, don't worry. He's a typical cishet dude, bro. Shouldn't give you any shit. Just say you're into crypto or not discussing your emotions or something. They looked up at the wall clock above the door. In fact, he should actually be here soon. Supposed to be in an hour before shifts start prep. Hold on. Anigan took out their phone. I'll text him. I swear he better not have gone off on one of his ketamine benders again. I blinked. Are you serious? Isn't that like a horse tranquilizer or something? He swears up and down it's for his depression. They tapped their phone again and then stuffed it back somewhere in their skirt. I think he just likes a little special K for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. That's all. Anyway, let me show you how to put a set list together using Spinatron. It's all drag and drop, like building a Spotify playlist. Anigan took another few minutes, putting me through the paces, letting me get some hands-on experience on going through the database to find audio files and slotting them into the playlist. It was a lot less complicated than I thought it would be, especially after staring at the board and all its sliders and buttons. The audio player showed runtime for each track, the entire playlist, and... What do these mean? I pointed at a time readout on each track that preceded the runtime. Each one was different, but they were usually anywhere from a few seconds to almost half a minute. Oh, those are cues. Anakin started playing one of the tracks. The first readout began to tick down, while the overall runtime started ticking up to the track time. When the first number hits zero, the lyrics kick in. Here, like this. They turned on the audio. I heard an instrumental track until the cue ran out. Then someone started singing. This way, the DJ knows how much time he has to hit the post. The post? Yeah, you know how you're listening to the radio and the DJ seems to know exactly how long they can keep talking before the next song starts up? That's called hitting the post. It used to be DJs just had to know each song they were playing, but now everything is keyed so you can see exactly how much time you have if you're, like, introing a song or something. Feels like cheating, if you ask me. I watched the runtime tick down as the track kept playing. Huh. I did not know that. There was a knock at the door. Anigan and I looked around as it opened, revealing Soundra standing there. I'm out of here for the night, Anigan. She said, eyeing me warily. Rest of my side is scheduled to run th- through till two. The satyr looked up at the wall clock, then back. All right, hon. Say hello to Amy for me. I'll be back at the palace in a couple hours. Soundra nodded, not taking your eyes off me. Hey, you. New kid. Behave or I'll eat you. She curled her lip to flash her fangs again, then laughed, turning to go. <laughs> See you later, sweetie. Anigan laughed as well, shaking their head. <laughs> Vampires, she said. Don't worry, she's not serious. At least I hope not. They stopped the playback and logged out of the database. All right. If Sandra's leaving now, Chanchi should be here any minute. 
hates being around when he shows up. Let's get out of here, and I'll walk you through the prep process. They check the time again. Actually, he should have been here by now. I don't think he texted me back, though. They pulled out their phone. Cutting it close, man. We've barely got 20 minutes before he's on the air. Anakin began showing me what it took to set up for a broadcast, pointing out what felt like a dozen different things a second. I tried to keep up, but a lot of it was pretty esoteric. I was about to ask them again for clarification on something when a crash came from the front office, making me jump. The fuck? Chauncey? Anakin walked out of Studio C. I got up and stood in the doorway looking down the hall. Chauncey, you're really late. What the fuck? Oh, shit. God damn it. They suddenly sounded very tired. Rick, come here. I hurried down the hallway, stopping short behind Anakin. A blonde-haired human student dressed in a rumpled red hockey jersey and tan cargo shorts was sprawled face-first in the carpet, ass in the air. A weather-beaten Tiva sandal was hanging from one foot. The other was missing. Departing for duty, ma'am. <laughs> he, he, he slurred, flailing in one arm in what I could only imagine was meant to be a salute. Anakin sighed. Oh, for fuck's sake, not again. And that's the end of Chapter 8 and tonight's reading. We hope to see you all again next week um, on, I want to say the 23rd. This is why I have to do math sometimes. <laughs> 23rd, yes. Yeah, this, not, next week on the 23rd, we'll be resuming with chapters 9 through 12. It's a good, it's a good section. It's where you get to see Ricky have one of the biggest panic attacks of his life. <laughs> <laughs> okay, if you enjoyed um, listening in tonight, feel free to you know follow along with us next time. Uh, Certified Gold on the Air by David M. DeMar is available both on blackwarrenbooks.com as well as on Amazon. Um, we sell EPUB on our website, but just so you know, EPUBs do work with Kindle. Okay, that's something we have to let people know, but absolutely. All right, so with that, I want to send out thanks to the cast tonight. First, to Sky Sisk for reading all the female parts. As always, yeah, she did a great job, but we are looking for additional readers who just want to help take off, you know, take some of the load off her shoulders. A lot of the times it's only like one or two line things, but if you have any interests, let us know. Also, myself, on our demand, I took care of most of the guys' parts. Kaz McDonald, of course, as the voice of Anagen, because... Soft G. Soft, Soft G. G. Anagen. Guh. <laughs> Stop that. Guh is a hard G. No, it's not. Guh and again. It's guh, guh. That's a hard G. No, it's not. Juh is the hard G. Like Jif. Okay, you're going to have to put that in the editor's office. <laughs> okay, Mr. Masters in English, you're going to have to, you know, show your work. Okay. Also, of course, uh, David Entemar, the author and the voice of Ricky Konax, because for this um, bit of Blackburn Reads, it would not exist without him. <laughs> so with that... And, yeah, and also, shit, I just Googled it. 
you're right. <gasps> I'm wrong. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to adjust that in the next uh, the next uh, printing. No, I, I I literally opened Wikipedia. The sound of a hard G is usually the vo- voiced velar plosive g, as in gain or go. Right. Yeah. So it should be a hard G, not a not a soft G. Oh shit! Is it? Does it say? Yeah, it says it says soft G. Does it? Tw- you say it twice in the same on the same page. <laughs> You heard it here first, folks. Both me and Sky were wrong. Especially, all right, antigen with a soft, antigen with, you know, a G, with a soft G, not a hard one. And then, and said antigen with a soft G and not a hard one. You literally say it twice. It's, 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 <laughs> it's supposed to be the G sound because it's, it's, it's Greek and the, the, the Greek root is a, is that sound, the, the, the hard G sound now that I, I know. The gus sound. Would would Anakin know which is which? I'm gonna I'm gonna say no. <laughs> Actually, that's a good point. That's a good point. See, I, we're not wrong. It's just they're wrong. They're wrong. You're trying to say that Anakin would Anakin would know how to pronounce her own name, <laughs> or rather, their own name. They don't. They don't know which is the harder soft G. It's it's diegetic or. Diagetic. Then again, then again, um, as will be revealed in a later book, Anagen's knowledge is largely largely in- influenced by the secret. <laughs> okay. With that, again, we want to thank everybody for stopping by tonight. We really hope to see more of you reading next week, and please feel free to spread the word about it. We would love to see to share this with more people. We will be putting this on Spotify, where the first episode with chapters one to four are. So basically, if anybody needs to catch up, we'll be able to put it out there. So with that, thank you so much. And until next Friday, stay safe, stay warm, stay loved, and have a great week. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Thanks so much for coming out. Blackmore Reads is a production of Alora Public Radio. Episodes are edited by me, Chris, and posted to Anchor FM, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. Learn more at blackwarnbooks.com. Blackwarn Books. Be the hero, not a token.